Uh, on Sundays during the summer, we've been journeying through Jesus' parables, kind of uh, looking at the reality that when, when Jesus tells these, these stories, they, they usually illustrate a couple of truths about God's kingdom and, and then a, a couple of truths about what it looks like to live in today's world are, are paired with those truths about God's kingdom. This morning, we're going to be in a parable called the parable of the tenants. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. If you have your, your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. And as we do so, will you pray with me? Loving God, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. And as we turn to your word, give us ears to hear what you have for us. And God, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So this morning's parable is the second of, of three parables, really, that, that Jesus tells toward the end of the book of Matthew. And, and each of the parables has to do with the end times. And, and read in a vacuum, you know, read on their own, like we're about to do, but, but read in a vacuum, the, these parables, they can kind of come across as, as being pretty harsh. So we need to understand the context of them a little bit. There's starts with the parable of ten bridesmaids that, that ends with a call to be prepared for what is coming because we can't know the hour or the day of the master's return. In, in a minute, we're going to read a story that ends with darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, read in a vacuum. That's, that's kind of harsh, kind of depressing. And, and the third parable is about sheep and goats and the future that awaits for those who don't tangibly live out the gospel in everyday life. All three parables are, are given, Jesus gives them right before he's arrested. And so in some ways it makes sense that Jesus would tell these types of parables right before all the all that unfolds before he goes to the cross, before he dies, before the resurrection, that, that these parables, these last parables would be ones that would leave his disciples saying, oh, he was talking about something very significant. So starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Matthew 24, excuse me, verse 14, we read this. Again, it's that the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came and master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's the same response with the five bags as it is with the two bags. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. Here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed? Notice that there's a a question there. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so then that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, again harsh, into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, a little over a year ago, my family moved from, from Orange County uh, up to the Conejo Valley. And there was a Sunday morning here at church where I knew that I was in trouble. And, and, I, and I knew I was in trouble. My parents were up from San Diego visiting. And between services, I looked over and I saw Pastor John talking with my dad. And, and, and I knew I was in trouble for a couple of reasons. One, my, my dad's an engineer. My dad was in the aerospace industry. John was in the aerospace industry. Uh, both John and my dad pay incredible detail to most things, including their houses and their yards. So if you visit the Burnetts or the Elder Rodies, you'll find uh, trimmed plants, beautiful landscaping, and well-manicured lawns. I had recently borrowed Pastor John's lawnmower, And I was sure my dad was telling about my inability to mow in a straight line when I was growing up. Sure enough, over the next few weeks and the next few months, as we got settled into the house, both John and my dad would check in on how I was doing with lawn care. And John, I'm happy to say that though I may neglect my lawn every once in a while, more than my dad would like, I did mow it yesterday. And the lines were straight. I hated mowing the lawn as a kid. I absolutely hated that chore. It was my least favorite one. And now, for some reason, it's something I actually enjoy. It's a privilege to have a house with a lawn. And I'm learning that there's a good degree of satisfaction in the chores that I once loathed. And, and sitting down to do something around the house, whether it's plants or, or lawn or whatever it might be, and being able to start and finish something, there is a great amount of satisfaction in that. The parable that we read this morning, that we read this morning, is about responsibility, about learning to take a privilege, whether it's a lawn or a sum of money, something with which we've been entrusted, and doing something productive with it. When Jesus tells this parable, it's it's aimed at the Pharisees, it's aimed at the scribes, really the, the religious leaders of their day. They were given the temple, they were given the law, God promised them that they would be blessed in order that they could bless everyone else, the whole world. They were privileged, chosen with a very specific purpose. And Jesus is simply asking through this parable, what did you all do with it? What, what did you do with what you had been entrusted? How did you use your blessing? The, the parable starts with a master who is, is going on a trip. On his way out of town, he gives three of his servants different amounts of money. And these weren't small sums of money. 
Uh, the translation that, that we read said that there were, there were bags of gold, and, and that gets close to illustrating how big of a gift these really were, but, but most translations say that they were talents, and, and, and a talent, um, that's why it's called the parable of the talent, a, a talent was the largest unit of money in the Greek world. The, the largest unit of money in the, in the Greek world. So uh, one talent was the equivalent of 10,000 denarii, and, and one denarii was a, a regular working wage. So you get one denarii, that's what you'd be paid every day. And so you imagine 10,000 denarii is one, one of these talents, one of these bags of gold. So one servant is given 27 years' worth of wages. One is given 54 years' worth. One is given 135 years worth. This is life-changing money. This is life-changing money that's given in this parable. It's like, like winning the lottery would be the closest to, to our, our, our current day. And I think Jesus uses such a large sum of money to illustrate how drastic God's gift is. It should change our lives. It should change our lives. The depth of God's grace can and should completely transform us. And despite the sum of money being so large, as big as it was, each of the servants are told to be responsible according to their ability. They aren't asked to do something that's beyond their capability. They're simply asked to be good stewards with the grace that they have been given. Now, Jesus' words here are echoed by what the Apostle Paul writes to the early church in Rome and in Corinth and in, in Ephesus, where he says that each person is uniquely gifted. We're not all called to preach. We're not all called to teach Sunday school or, or to sit on the finance committee. And some of us are called to those places, but others are called to, to sing in the choir. Some of us are, are called to be ushers, to serve as youth advisors. There's a lot of different places that we all, each of us, have been uniquely gifted. Part of the joy of the Christian life is discovering how those unique, well, discovering those unique gifts and then figuring out how those, those unique gifts come together to create the community that we all enjoy with one another. How do we use the privilege that God has given each one of us, our, our own gifts, to love and to serve others. It's one of the things that our, our Vision 2020 team has been talking about this year and, and kind of trying to figure out what, what makes our church unique. How do we take the collective unique gifts of our congregation to bless our neighbors in the Conejo Valley and, and beyond? Are we responsible with what we've been entrusted? Along with that responsibility comes risk. Two of the servants get right to work using the generous gift the master had given them. And then the third digs a hole and buries the money. He hears that, that part of that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then there's that hide in under the bush. Oh, come on. Hide in under the bush. Oh, oh, enthusiasm. Hide it under the bush, oh? No. Oh, thank you. He says, yes! Yes! Hide it under the bush! Bury it in sand! What God has given me, I'm going to, to hide it. And Jesus says that his motivation is he was afraid. He was afraid. 
He didn't want the master to come home and to have to tell him that he lost money on his investment. And then when the master comes home or, or even approaches the master like he should be proud, he, he approaches the master and says, hey, aren't you proud of me that I didn't, I didn't lose anything? Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you proud of me that I'm giving you back what you, you first gave to me? He says, here's your money. I protected it. It didn't make anything, but, but it also didn't lose anything. Now, many uh, of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they believed that above all else, faith was about preserving the life that God had set aside for them. The laws, the rules, the worship was all about making sure that a tiny group of people wouldn't be corrupted by the culture that was around them. So they do all that they could to stay separate from the world that was out there. All that they could to, to keep themselves separate from the, the corrupt culture. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus includes the very people that the religious elite worked so hard to exclude. Jesus called his, his followers, he called his followers and he said, hey, you need to take a risk to live in a way that, that's definitely set apart, that's definitely different obviously different from the rest of the culture, but to live that way while living amongst the world. Now, there's a fairly convicting warning here for today's church, especially for those of us in established churches. We tend to spend a lot of time and energy preserving what we know, a type of worship, a particular program or ministry, a, a model for how sessions should look, a model for how our staff should look, how our, our committees are structured. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to kind of fit into what we know. And as we resort, we resort to what we know, to what makes us comfortable, we become more and more risk adverse. And one of my prayers for us as a church over the next year or so is that we would become a church that takes calculated risks. That we wouldn't be afraid. That we wouldn't be afraid. I don't want to miss what God has for us simply because we're afraid to do something that's new or different. Responsibility, risk, reward. The two servants that do something with the bags of gold get to share in their master's happiness. They get to share in their master's joy. The third is taken to a dark place. He accuses the master of being a hard man, of, of even being someone who reaps what others have sown. Now, there's been a good amount of confusion around this part of the parable. If the, if the master is supposed to be God... In this story, why would he take from the hard work of others? But notice that the master doesn't really give a response to, to the question. He, he doesn't affirm it. He says, so this is what you think of me, huh? Th this is what, what you think of me. And then he stops. He, do he, he doesn't give any more information. And a master who would give his servants the sort of life-changing money that he was given, that he gave them here, wouldn't necessarily be a, a hardened man. More than anything, he sounds incredibly generous. There's consequence for the third servant's laziness and reward for the action 
of the first two. Two of the more prominent words in in today's world are entitlement and privilege. We talk about entitled kids or, or the privilege that certain social groups experience. And now as I I thought about this morning's parable, it kind of hit me. Entitlement comes through receiving a reward without having to risk anything. Entitlement comes through receiving a reward without having to risk anything. And it usually results in a lack of responsibility. The challenge for the three servants, the challenge for the religious elite of Jesus' day is the same challenge for anyone who claims to follow Jesus today. Do we take the gift that we don't deserve, life-changing grace, and do we do something with it? Do we do something with that life-changing grace that we are offered? Or do we sit on it and do nothing? What do we do with what we've been given? I fully believe that it's the desire of the master to share his joy with his servants. It's why the gifts are given in the first place. In Matthew's gospel, there's often an an image painted of this, this great banquet. And on more than one occasion, Jesus talks about how his followers are going to have a seat at this big party, at this big, big banquet. And it's a party that takes place in the future that, that we get glimpses of today. party that takes place in the future that we get glimpses of today, like when we celebrate baptism together. Or when a church comes alive and each member recognizes the gifts that God has given them and then puts them to work. Let's be a church that always is on the lookout for those glimpses. Glimpses of the great banquet. Glimpses of God's joy in our lives today, transforming the gifts that each of us have been given into tangible ways of loving one another, of being in community together, and loving our neighbors. Amen? Let's pray. Loving God, we we thank you for the life-changing gift of your grace. God, help us to be responsible with what we've been given in order that we might share in your joy. We pray these things in your name. Amen.